The title of the message today is uh, How to Create a Kingdom Culture in Your Home. Creating a Kingdom Culture in Your Home. And there's a couple ambiguities in that title that I feel like I need to uh, address before we get going so that we all are on the same page. Uh, by kingdom culture, we mean inherently the kingdom of God culture. The same kingdom of God that we've been studying for the past couple months as the church found in, as Matthew has kind of described what that looks like. It's the, it's the rule and the reign of God in the hearts of the believers to uh, shape your attitudes, your values, and the lifestyle practices of, of, of Christians. And when we say it's the kingdom of culture of God in the home, it's to say that uh, we want to be people in, in our homes who have those attitudes, values, and lifestyle practices that honor Jesus as the king of the house and to glorify him, that we all might want to glorify him as the central unifying theme of our home. Do you know that you can live in a kingdom culture home without having Jesus as the king of your heart? We see this proved time and time again as kids are raised in, in homes where God is put first and yet they go off to wherever and, and no longer follow the Lord. And likewise, you don't have to have Jesus as the king of your heart to follow kingdom principles. God will still bless that. Common grace will still bless that. But God's ideal, his best for us is to have him rule and reign in our heart and then have him transform our homes. And a true kingdom home requires the prevailing purpose and values of the home that flow out of the hearts in the home in submission to Jesus as king. That's kind of what we're talking about here is creating a kingdom culture in your home. How do we work in such a way that the hearts in the home are lived in submission to the king? And last week, we looked at some key cultural indicators uh, of a home, and that's available online if you missed it. I really encourage you to catch that, catch up, because this is a how-to type of message. And every sermon answers a question. I don't know if, you, if you've learned that yet, but every week we open up God's word, we ask a blanket question. And this question this week is, is very simple. Assuming Jesus is the king of our heart, how do we enthrone him as the king of our home? Assuming Jesus is the king of our heart, how do we actually practically work this out in our homes? How do we make sure that what I'm espousing in my own individual life works itself out in the context of my everyday life? And uh, before we get to that question, I want to just put that aside for a moment and come back to it. I just want to ask you this question. How do you make sure anything is the most important thing in your home? Uh, chances are, if I were to walk into your home and look around, I would see some values right away. Um, if you're a single guy who likes to golf a lot, I'd walk into your home and I'd see your collection of Titleist golf balls and this one was from Pebble Beach and this one was from the time you went to the British Open and this is your hole-in-one, your first hole-in-one ever and it's proudly displayed. Or if I walk into your home, um, I could tell very quickly that you're into education because diplomas are on the wall. You've got a little IU sticker on your car. Your kids came out of the womb wearing an IU onesie, right? Maybe uh, I could pick on one family in particular. I, I picked on them last service, and they weren't here, so I'll do it to your face this time. Uh, the Rodriguez's. You all know the Rodriguez's, right? Should I have you stand? Let's have them stand. Let's have them stand. Stand up, guys. Stand up. I'm only doing this because they're fantastic people. <laughs> All right, so, so Rob plays bass for us. Don't you love, guys, can I just have a moment, just earmuffs. Uh, don't you love when Rob's playing bass and he's like singing, worshiping at the same time? Isn't that just an encouragement to your heart? I love that. This is, yes, 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 yes. Anyway, so Rob, Rob and Lori, I can pick on you guys. Is that okay if I pick on you? It's too late now, okay. Um, I noticed a couple months ago there was something happening in the, the world of sports that you were really into. And uh, 
Uh, I would ask the question, how would you know if a family, maybe the Rodriguez family, maybe not, but maybe them, were, were really into, let's just pick a random team out of the blue, no intention possible, but maybe the Cubs. Like, how would I walk, like, if I walked into maybe the Rodriguez family and, and walked in their home and, like, I would know they're the Cubs family. Why? Well, well, it's talked about incessantly. You go on Facebook. You go anywhere near them and you hear, oh, the Cubs did this, the Cubs did that. The, the wins are ecstasy and, and then the losses are sorrow, right? Uh, you don't want to be around people who love the Cubs after the Cubs have lost that day. They know the history of the team. The roster is memorized. They can tell each other, hey, do you know how much money Madden's making this year? That's incredible. They um, are, are all about the Red Stove Report. They're public with their love for the Cubs. They... Um, say things like, hey, do you think we should get another W flag? That way we can fly one in the front of the house and in the back of the house. They've got stickers on their cars. They wear jerseys. The heroes are the players who contribute to the team. They go to the games and celebrate with other fans. They practice their own game in the backyard imaginatively. Uh, they go to the games. They, 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 for them, Wrigley Field is sacred, hallowed ground. Am I preaching truth yet? It's like the mecca of where you go. And um, they sing songs about the Cubs, like go, um, go Cubs go, right, 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 that one. Their children grow up Cubs fans. They carry that allegiance to become grandkids, which is a joy to grandma and grandpa. Their home reflects the heart's values and creates a culture in the home that is unmistakable to children, even people who visit their home. Now, guys, thank you for letting me point a finger at you. We love you. And, and can we all just say the Cubs are not a bad thing, right? Sox fans, shh. But the Cubs, like, that's, that's not a bad thing, right? So thank you for letting me awkwardly make that a thing. How do you know what's the most important thing? You, you, all these things, you can just kind of think, like, what makes a family a this family? Well, they're, they're incessant about it. They celebrate it. They go to the things. They talk about it. They know everything about it. They're into it. And I feel the need to make this state, statement, and I'm really I'm not being sarcastic or joking. I, I really want to say this so that we're all clear. Uh, Jesus is better than the Cubs, praying for everyone. <laughs> and, and Jesus is greater than sports, and Jesus is greater than our political leanings. Jesus is greater than our views on education. Jesus is greater than our next world vacation. Jesus is greater than whatever it is that is a good thing in our home, because isn't this true? Isn't sports a good thing? Like, isn't music a good thing? Isn't enter entertainment can be a good thing? Aren't, aren't vacations a good thing? And so your home has a culture built around it, probably off of a good thing already. But here's, here's the reality. I had a pastor in my life once tell me this and stuck with me. He said, Dan, good things become bad things when they crowd out the best thing. And how many of us would believe in a spouse and say, I love Jesus with all my heart, and yet when I live in my home, it just doesn't feel like we love Jesus with all of our heart. It feels like we're more distracted by all of these things that are morally neutral and, and fun for sure, but I know that Christ is ultimate. And so why is it such a challenge for me to create a kingdom culture in my home when it's so much easier to create a knitting culture or a pet culture or a woodworking culture or whatever it is that you're into culture? That's a, a good question. The Bible is not silent on that. The Bible says it's very simple. It's because your flesh 
and the world and the devil will cheer on any culture in your life except the kingdom of God culture. The strategy of our enemy is to distract us by things that are not like jump over the edge, down a cliff, into the uttermost of sin. He just takes the slight things, the, 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 the normal things, the even good things, and says, if I can get them to obsess over this, then they won't have time. They won't pay attention to what God's doing. And, I, and we, can, we can keep them from seeing all that God wants to work out in their families. So, friends, my hope today is as I'm sharing things about how to build a kingdom culture out of Scripture, there's going to be this internal lawyer working against you saying, I would never do that, I can never do that, I can never try to do that, I don't want to do that. Because all the things that we're about to say are anti our flesh, they're anti-sin nature. And so my hope today, and I hope your hope today is as well, is in the Holy Spirit, who is greater than the one that is in the world, Right? We just sang the song, the same power that, ra- that rose, uh, rolled the stone away is alive in us today. And isn't that true? That you and I, in yielding our lives to the submission of the Holy Spirit, can choose to see the kingdom of God lived out in our families and in our homes. And so that's our aim today. Before I um, jump into these things, I, I, I want to maybe make one more caveat. Um, there are four delights that I'm going to highlight from Scripture, four actions and attitudes in Scripture that help us see the avenues we have to give glory to God and focus our families on his kingdom. And some of you are type A, and you're going to want to go out of here and, and start a list and do all four of them by 1 o'clock. And others of you are going to really struggle to figure out how you can do these all in the next month. Um, and I want to encourage you that somewhere in the middle is good, right? Is that you change cultures slowly. You don't just jump from one culture to a next. That's a really hard thing. Instead, if you notice any revolution in American society, it happens one small step at a time, one gradual degree at a time. And so, friends, if you start to change the culture of your family one small thing at a time, in a couple months you'll look back and see that, wow, all of this has changed and your family really has changed in a good, healthy direction. So are you ready to jump in? The first thing I want to just bring to your attention out of Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn to that, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. If you want to create a kingdom culture in your home, the best, first, most foundational thing is to simply talk to the king. Everybody say that with me. Talk to the king. Yeah. Talk to the king. Uh, You know that uh, you and I have access all the time to the greatest throne in every realm in humanity. I was thinking this week, seeing in Washington, D.C., all the meetings that are going on with the president and the president-elect and all of these, there's just a lot of news about who has access to who right now. And I thought to myself, man, I really would like to uh, meet, you know, President Obama or the president-elect Trump. I'd, I would love to have a sit down with them. I don't know what I would say, but I would just love to be in the room. That'd be great. And the reality hit me very quickly. I'm a citizen of America. I do my duty. I pay my taxes. But I, I don't have a hearing with the president. And yet, as a Christian, you at all times have an invitation to come in and bring your joys and your sorrows and your burdens and your requests to the king. How amazing is that? Look at what Jesus says. He says, um, if you want to know the king and, 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 and be in the presence of the king, all you have to do is talk to the king. 
All you have to do is pray. Notice how simple this is, Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, but they, that they may see, be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Maybe you grew up in a family that never prayed except for when your team was down by one with a minute left on the clock. This may seem super weird to you. And I observe um, as a pastor talking to a lot of people, trying to even pray with many people, that prayer is this weird thing with a lot of stigmas attached to it based on many lies. I've heard many people say, um, I know I'm not praying right because I can't pray enough. But um, prayer is not something that's more or less effective based upon the length of words or the amount of time that you spend praying. Notice how Jesus says, um, don't be like someone who thinks they'll be heard for their many words. Other people I've heard say, I don't think I have the right words to say to God. I, I, don't, I don't know how to pray. As if having the right words said in the right way at the right moment, the right feeling would get God to move on your behalf. That's not prayer. You know what that is? That's magic. That's an incantation you're banking on. That's witchcraft. Likewise, many people say, um, I, don't, I don't think I'm holy enough to pray. But I wonder if you realize how powerful was that first prayer you ever prayed when you were not holy. When you confessed your sins to God and asked him for a new heart and for him to be the king over your life. And I wonder if you look back now and you can see how powerful that prayer was and how great your God is because he's changed your life. See, prayer is less about us. It's more about God. It's an act of faith that allows us to acknowledge God as the king of our lives. It's an act of submission that brings the soul into an awareness of the authority and the respect of God. So it's not about you fulfilling some sort of religious requirement or obligation. Prayer in your home should not feel like a, well, now it's time for us to pray type moment. Instead, it's, a, it's, 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 it's why, how we demonstrate that we have a contrite, contrite spirit and a humble disposition before our God as a family. Which is why it's totally pointless to only pray in public. That's just as much of a sham as it is to never pray. You see, true prayer begins in the quiet and unobserved moments, and it moves into the family, and then it moves into the Christian community. Which is why if you as a parent only ever pray in your small group, or here in church, or even publicly in church, the moment your kids see you praying publicly, they're going to think the same exact thing that Jesus thought. You hypocrites. But instead, when we talk to the king together, it shows the, the humility we have 
that God is king of my life and I want him to be king of, of our family. And it begins personally and then it flows into your home and into the community. And someone has asked me before, um, okay, I, I like the idea of praying, but I can pray all the time and I don't think that would be helpful. My kids might hate that. How, how do I know when to pray? What should I pray for? And um, A lot of us, we pray at meals and bedtime. But what about waking up and if your kids are around, having a quick prayer to say, Lord, thank you for this new day. It was uh, back in May, I was spending time with my grandfather out in Nebraska, and we were both going to sleep, um, and I remember right in the middle of the hallway, my grandpa just kind of grabbed my, my wrist and said, let's pause for prayer. And he said, God, thank you for this day. Be with us as we sleep. We love you. Amen. Super simple, super achievable, right? But an acknowledgement that, God, you are the king in this home. And regardless of who is staying here, we want to talk to the king. What about on the brink of a, of a big day? It's the first day on the job, first day of the school year, first day for this. Or you got, you got a big day, you got a big appointment with a, with a doctor that could change a lot of things. Or this is a, a grand day, there's something new is happening. Why don't you pause it to pray? Or maybe it's big sorrow. Something's changed, there's been a tragedy, and the family needs to come together and talk to the king. Maybe there's a big need, something broke, something's not working, we need, we need help, God, we need you to meet our needs here, and the humblest thing we can do is just ask for your help. Paul says in Ephesians 6, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Paul is talking about uh, regularly fighting the schemes of the enemy, standing firm against the enemy's tactics, and he encourages us at the back end of all that to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, which means, listen, you don't need to be having a bad day to pray, and you don't need to have a red-letter day to pray. You just simply pray. You start. You talk. It's the first thing. You talk to the king. And the second thing that we see here, how you, how you uh, create a kingdom culture in your home is to listen to the king, to listen to the king. This is an emphasis in your family on scripture. The Bible is all about Jesus and God wants to speak to us through scripture. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, a couple of years ago in the Academy Awards, that movie, The King's Speech. Do you remember that movie, The King's Speech? The 9 a.m. service didn't know about this. They're not as advanced as you guys are. Uh, have you watched this? Colin Firth plays Birdie, the guy who can't speak very well, and he gets a train, like a vocal guy to help him give this speech. And it's a true story. In 1939, Britain uh, declares war on Germany. And at the apex moment in all uncertainty, uh, Europe is, is in unrest, and England needs to hear from their king. The whole movie's about how he goes ahead and he delivers a flawless, inspiring comforting speech that was exactly needed for that country at that moment. England needed to hear from their king. And listen, as Christians, so do you and I. Our lives are filled with so much turmoil and chaos and confusion and winding paths that we need to know that Psalm 119, what it says is that God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We need to stop and take time to hear the messages of our God to, to our souls and to our families. As, as parents, how do you know what to, go over, what to go to war over in your family unless you know God's word? 
uh, what will help you navigate the chaos of your kids' lives better than knowing God's word? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, if you've got a Bible and you're flipping with me. Matthew 7, verse 24. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The foundations for our families has always been and always will be the word of God. Now I love this metaphor that Jesus uses. He says, you can listen to the king, it'll make you wise as if you had built your life on the strongest and surest foundation. Almost like a foundation that was so secure it was kind of looked like overkill. And when do you need a strong foundation in your life? It's not when the wind is calm and the sun is shining and the birds are chirping. No, it's when all chaos lets loose and the wind blows and the rain pours and the ground beneath your feet starts to shake. Jesus says, if you trust in my word and you do them, you're like a family who will not be shaken. I've had the... I guess, opportunity to watch tragedy hit many families. And I've seen families where the kids are not Christian and something horrific happens to the family and it's torn apart. But likewise, I've seen so many times where families are founded upon the word of God and something catastrophic takes place and it doesn't divide them, but God's word unites them. And tragedy becomes the fertile breeding ground for deeper love and deeper intimacy and deeper trust in the Lord. And Jesus gives us a very practical reason for why you ought to create a kingdom culture at your home because only his words are the foundation that can withstand a sexual revolution in our society. Only the teachings of Jesus can protect the sanctity of marriage. Only the foundation of Christ can bring healing in the midst of disaster. Only the foundation of Jesus and knowing his word will bring us out from among those who are caught up in worldliness to go out and be salt and light in our communities. Because it's wise to found your life on the rock and to know God's word. And so let the king talk to you. Listen to the king. Know scripture. And I wonder if um, scripture has a prominent place in your home. Like, not just as a decoration or a stack of accumulated Bibles that you've collected over the years, but it's been opened and read in your home. It has power to it to shape the ethos of the home where people listen to the king. I hope after these first two, you kind of realize that nothing I've said is like earth-shaking, that, that this isn't really something that is going to really interrupt your life tremendously. But... It is so important for us. You don't have to find like five hours each week to start praying or reading God's word. Uh, you can start today. You can just talk to God today. And the reason it's a kingdom culture is because culture impacts every area of your life. And that culture can be created when we talk to the king and when we listen to the king. And so the good news is when you talk to the king and you listen to the king, a natural byproduct happens, which is the third thing. You talk about the king. Would you say that with me? Talk about the king. The good news is that when you listen and you talk, you will talk about the king. And isn't it true of life? Whatever your conversations center on, that reveals the priorities in your life. 
Just like an over-obsessed Cubs household, maybe. So, listen, as a husband and wife, if the two of you never talk about the things of God, but you come to church together and you worship next to each other and you take communion next to each other and you go home and you don't ever get to that point where you share what God has been doing in your life or share what struck you as interesting or share what convicted you through that day, you are robbing the kingdom of God from having its full effect in your family. And likewise, if you have kids and the extent of your involvement in your kids' Christian growth and in your kids' discipleship is that you drop them off at church and pick them up and you never go from this place and you bring them home and you share with them and ask them questions and draw out from them what's going on in their hearts about God, you are robbing the kingdom of heaven from having its full effect in your home. And likewise, kids, if you are being raised in a Christian home and you as a child never talk to your parents about the things that are happening in your heart, the questions you have about God, the things that you feel convicted about, the things that you're excited about God, and what you learned about uh, that day in, in your either your reading or at church, then you are also robbing the kingdom of heaven from having its full effect in your home. And um, I know this firsthand. This was such a struggle for me growing up in my family. And if you knew my family, you'd be like, why? Because my dad was the chairman of the deacons, my mom was a piano player, my uncle was the pastor, my grandpa was a Christian author, and uh, I operated on this assumption in my own family growing up that uh, our family was so Christian that everybody was always thinking about things the way God thinks about things. Why would you have to verbalize that? It's good enough for me to have my own personal relationship with God. I don't have to describe that in the context of my family. Plus, the Jacobsons are Norwegian, which means uh, conceal, don't feel is our, is our motto. And I found it so hard to admit to my mom when I was 17 years old that I felt this insatiable draw to ministry. And you'd think any parent who raised a kid in a church would be pumped to have a child go into ministry. Um, the Fraser are here. I saw them somewhere, Diane and Alan. They're over there. Uh, they're missionaries to Peru, and they're, they're home for a little bit. And their son, Chris, is back in Peru, raised in Peru, came back here, I don't know what you think about America, but he's back in Peru now. What a joy, right? Anyone would see that as just a joy to, to have a child grow up. But, but for me as a kid who grew up in this type of home, I was devastated to talk to my mom. It took me six weeks to actually muster up the courage to tell her I've been thinking about colleges and what I want to do is go to a Bible institute because I think I want to preach. Because the messages going on in my mind that I was believing were, um, yeah, you can fake anyone at church out, but you can't fake out your family. Like, I can, I can put on a good face for all of you, but Kristen knows who I am, and I can never, never fake you out. And to have that intimate conversation about what God was doing in my heart was such a terrifying thing that I thought I was going to be met with, well, how could you do that? I know what you're like. I don't think that that would benefit the church if you did that. These were all the things that were going through my mind so that when I actually verbalized these words and said, Mom, here's what I want to do. I want to apply to the Moody Bible Institute because I think God's calling me into ministry. I was stunned when she just started smiling. And she said, Dan, I know. And I was like, what? How do you know? And she said, well, I've seen what God's been doing in your life. And I wanted to be like, you could have told me. But that's for counseling later. And... Um, 
And I remember this, that moment where I shared with my mom what God was doing in my heart and she shared back what she saw God doing in my life, that was such a profound moment in my life that it's freed me up from a lot of things. So for example, um, the thought of me running a business has never crossed my mind. The thought of me going and being a lawyer or a doctor or, or, or anything out in the world where I could make significantly more money than what I would make as a pastor has never crossed my mind. I have a burning passion for the church. Why? The Holy Spirit, sure. But because I had a family where that was seen in me and encouraged in me, and when it was validated, I said, yes, God, you're calling me to this, and it's freed me up from the distractions of the world. And so, parents, I wonder if you can call out in your own family's lives, in your own kids' lives, and, and encourage them and speak words of life into them and say, hey, 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 Bob, I, I see this that God's doing in you. And create a culture where your kids can start talking to you about what God is doing in their heart. It's so important. It's so important. It reminds me um, of how the Israelites were supposed to live. Moses records the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your might. And then look at verse 6 with me. I'm going to put this on the screen. He says, And these words I command to you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Which, pay attention, that means that the primary place of discipleship is not the church, it's the home. And uh, our Awana ministry here is dynamite. I think Paul and Kay are actually in this service and they lead, I, I don't know where they are, I don't see them, but they lead an amazing team of volunteers every single Wednesday. They teach our kids scripture and help provide a fun, safe environment for them to interact with God's word, and it's amazing. And Andrew Skibby, likewise, on Wednesday evenings is leading our Verge student ministries, where even after this last service, a dad came up to me to, to brag on what God's been doing in the life of his daughter through that ministry, and it's so cool to see. But listen, the Strasburgs and Andrew Skibby have not been tasked by God to train up your children in the faith. You have. Deuteronomy 6, 7. You teach them. Which is why every once in a while we will have parents stand on this stage and we do parent-child dedications. This is not a saving act for the child. We don't believe that's what this is at all. This is a dedication by the parents to say, God placed this responsibility on me and I'm taking this seriously. If you create a family culture where you talk about the things of God, you will be having the opportunity to do exactly what Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 say. And some guys in here, I can just hear their objections right now. Well, when am I going to find time to get out the whiteboard and teach the Bible? And when am I going to have time to actually wake up and have my kids wake up with me? I'm out the door by three. And uh, I love Deuteronomy 6, 7. Look at what it says. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Guys, do you ever sit in your house? Yeah, this is a, you're a champion sport, right? Like you're, you're a pro at this. You got a chair and everything. And um, do you walk by the way? Like, do you go places? Do you ever, like Derek was saying, drive in a car with your kids and on the way where you're driving, just kind of bring up and say, hey, Micah, here's what's going on in my job. And, 
it's stressing me out, and I would really love it if you'd pray for me about that. And, um, you know, you guys lie down at night. Do you ever talk about what God is doing in your family before you go to bed? And when you wake up, do you ever just say, hey, I hope you guys have a good day. I hope you, you, know, I hope you see God do some amazing things today. You don't need to carve out extra time to do this. This is what a culture looks like. It just happens naturally. Parents, you don't need to preach. You just simply need to be God spotters for your kids, to teach them to identify the work of God and to say, hey, that was God in the middle of that. I got a bonus check, son. Isn't it great that God meets our needs? And isn't it great that this family moved in across the street because we can become friends with them? That's a, a ministry that God's given us. And one way that you can start this, if you have little kids or kids in elementary school, our, our uh, kids ministry here, which Ruthie Hankins oversees and does an amazing job, uh, they put out this every single week. It's called Table Talk. The way for you to talk about what your kids have already been learning about at church. And you don't have to come up with anything. We give you the questions to ask. We show you, hey, this is what your kid read. There's a little synopsis of it, and there's a way for you to talk about it. There's four questions here. You can pick one at dinner time, and then pray. Here's some things to pray for. And then there's even a little activity that you could do if you, if you want extra credit in heaven. <laughs> this is what heaven uses. But also, I want to maybe uh, suggest this to you. I asked Ruthie the other day, I said, Ruthie, what's the best kids' book that you've seen in a long time? And she actually had this in her hand. She said, this one. I said, great, what is it? And she said, it's The Radical Book for Kids is what it's called, The Radical Book for Kids. And in it is just a way to show your kids in a really cool way just things on earth that God has created to show them the glory of God to show how all these regular things in life actually point to God who is our creator and sustainer, to just start a conversation to talk about the king. And so, so, so dads, you can do this. You can totally do this. And it's your responsibility to initiate the conversation. So how do you create a kingdom culture in your home? You first talk to the king, and then you listen to the king, and you talk about the king, and then finally this, you serve the king. Serve the king. We're a church that makes a claim that it's all about him. And uh, Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18, his last words in the book of Matthew are this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. This is so basic to civilization, but a king is not a counselor. A king is not a friend. And a king is not a teacher. A king is an authority to be obeyed. We're not in the habit of obeying our king except for when April 15th rolls around in America. We bring our tithe back to the king in that regard. And so for us, maybe it's a little foreign to think that God is a, a God who is a king over my life who has objectives for me to carry out. And uh, this is Joshua's declaration. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We say, that's great, but you are conquering enemies. How do I do that today? And Jesus has given us the way. He says, make disciples. You serve the king when you make disciples. Disciples. Jesus' words there, what Matthew records for us, the way he records it, the verb is to make 
disciples. And you make disciples in a couple of ways. It's as you are going, make disciples. Baptize them, which is to initiate them into the family of God. And teach them to obey all that you have been commanded. I, um, I think that sounds a little bit like Deuteronomy 6.4, right? As you are going, as you are waking, as you are sitting, as you are kind of talk about the things of God. Jesus says, as you are going, initiate people into the family of God to be my disciples so that they might join in this kingdom. I, um, I was thinking back to my high school days as I was preparing this message and I was remembering as a high schooler how I would hang out with all my friends at their homes and um, we would inevitably, whenever we were hanging out, we'd raid the kitchen, right? And um, I had families who I'd go hang out with who that were, they were not kingdom culture families at all. And then I, there were some families who were kingdom culture families that I'd hang out with and they either wanted to keep their food budget in check so they would stay and watch us eat or um, they understood what it was to actually serve the king in making disciples. Because I remember so many of my, my friends' parents would be hanging out with us just chatting about life. They'd chat with us about politics and world affairs, but also about what was happening in our little clique of friends and um, what was happening in our own family lives. And they would encourage us and take time to ask us pointed questions. As a youth pastor, I used to call this the power of the third voice. They would ask us questions that parents always ask their kids, but because it was a third voice asking them who wasn't their parent, it was powerful. And uh, they'd ask us all these questions. How do you think about this? Or, you know, this happened in your school where these kids got expelled for drinking. How do you think about that? What do you think this should happen? And they were in our lives and they were helping shape our lives and discipling us. And so I ask you this question, can a parent serve the king outside of the church? Yeah, absolutely. You serve the king most when you're making disciples in the regular realms of your life in the regular rhythms of what you do. I hope you've been tracking with me this whole entire message because I haven't said anything that we haven't already said at this campus before. All I've been doing is taking what we established from the beginning of this campus as our values, which are the posters that are actually out on the wall out there. And I've just put to a family setting those values through the scriptures of Matthew to show you that kingdom culture is nothing new. It just simply needs to be applied. And I hope that as you walk past these posters out here, you wouldn't just see them as a grand uh, hope for the community that God is building here at Hobart Portage. Friends, I love our church, and I love what God's doing in us. And, and I almost got choked up at the 9 o'clock service, but I'm over it now. And uh, I truly am in awe of what God is building here among us. It's, this is an amazing thing. And yet, how awful would it be for us to believe that those values, Scripture, prayer, fellowship, and mission, those were just to be lived out in the context of this community. You see, the kingdom of God starts in your heart, and then it moves to your home. And then it moves to the community at large. Pastors like to toy with this philosophical question a lot. And um, being pastors, sometimes you're called upon at odd hours of the day. And every pastor has a desire to care for people and over time, it could wear on your family. And so the, the question is, how much time do you devote to other people and how much time do you devote to your family? That's like the age-old pastoral dilemma. How, how much do you give to the church? How much do you give to your family? And I remember thinking through this as a, as a college kid, wanting it to be a dichotomy, wanting it to be either black or white, like give me 60-40, give me 50-50, give me 40-60, I don't care. I just, just give me a number. And um, someone kindly said to me, and I would encourage this to you as well, 
said, the best thing as a pastor that I can do for my family is to build a great church. And the best thing I can do for the church is to build a great family. Which is not a number at all. Thank you very much. (laughs) But the reality is, is that the church and the homes work together in tandem because that's how God created Christian community to work. Where in the confines of your home, you're seeking after godliness and you bring that into the church. And, and oftentimes, you, the, the church spills over back into the, the home and encourages you all the more and then you bring that into the church. It's, it's the cycle that God has created for edification and sanctification to, to help you grow in your understanding of what God's kingdom is doing in your life. And so I encourage you today to, to consider those values as your own personal values and values for your family. So you ask yourself, how is our family doing? Do we pray ever? Maybe we could pray one time this week. Do we ever read scripture and listen to the king? Maybe we could do that. Do we ever talk about what God is doing? Maybe in the car ride home, I can kick it off right away because you're going to leave this and you're going to get in the car and there's going to be a radio playing and you're going to say, I love this song and you're never going to talk about this stuff again. That's going to be the, the, the pull against you. But fight against that. Bring the culture of God's kingdom into your conversations. And finally, do you ever serve together? Not just in the church, although that's great, but do you serve your neighbors and your friends and your family? These are the ways I believe that God wants us to move forward as we see his kingdom crash into earth in our families. I want to leave you this one last thing as we close. One of the best ways for you to grow in prayer and scripture and fellowship and mission is to join a small group. Uh, if you have not joined a small group yet, I want you to know that right now is the perfect time. We're starting so many new groups at our Hobart Portage campus. Now is the perfect time for you to jump in with other people who are brand new. And uh, outside in the hallway, uh, just turn right at the table, there's a sign-up sheet. You can take a Connect card right from the seat back in front of you and say, hey, I'd like to learn more about small groups. What you're not doing today is committing your life away to small groups. I just want to give you a chance to open the door to a conversation to help you see if you could get into a group that meets in a time where it works in the rhythms of your life. Because we all need help in the midst of this. We all need encouragement in the midst of this. And to walk in community with others where you can talk about the king and you can talk to the king and you can listen to the king and you can serve the king is an incredibly helpful Godward way for your life. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, not many of these things happen in our lives accidentally. And we know that there's opposition to this. And yet we also know that your way is always the best way. Your way heals wounds and it puts right what's been fractured. And I pray for couples who are in this room right now but are not even getting along. That they might be able just to pray with each other once this week and talk to you together. And Father, I pray for the parents who don't know where to start, that they just take a small step in asking the risky question of what God's been teaching their kids lately. And Father, help us as a church to grow in the kingdom culture that you want us to have, that would smell and taste like you. Father, help us to have the wisdom to know how to apply this as we go about our weeks. We love you so much, and it's your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.